Evan. Hey, Joe. Hey, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Runtime Run Rundown. Let's, Let's go. go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Runtime Rundown. I'm here. I'm Joe. I'm here with Evan and our second special guest ever. Let's welcome Scott K. Hey, folks. I almost did the hip hop horn, but then I realized I'm too old and it's not cool anymore. I was almost like, burr, 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 burr. <laughs> but uh, I got to really stop doing that because I'm 35 and it was never cool. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Scott K, the man, the myth, the legend. Um, Works with Joe at Beep Company. That's right, uh, Scott. Scott, you want to like do do you know one sentence or whatever intro of, of uh, who you are and what what you do? For sure, yeah. So I'm Scott K. Uh, I am a software engineer, and what I specialize in or have for a long time is UI and component UI. Uh, and today, I specialize in something that at Bleep Company. Uh, I'm known as a master <laughs> or wizard of, and that's TypeScript. Oh, you're that's a TypeScript right. we have, wizard? We oh have a whole bunch gosh. of emojis. We have a whole bunch of Slack emojis that are like Scott TypeScript emojis. I actually and didn't it, know that. I, I just was like, oh, Joe wanted to bring Scott on and talk about TypeScript. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> this might actually be a little hotter of an episode than I thought. Uh, yeah. And uh, spoiler yeah. alert, it's the TypeScript episode. In case you missed the f- promo we did last week at the literally the last 10 at seconds minute of the episode. 60 <laughs> of the episode, we're like, oh, shit. Yeah, we're doing TypeScript next time. Uh, yeah. We've been talking about TypeScript. We've danced around the subject a lot. Um, not dance. I have just pummeled TypeScript on the show for like many episodes. I've had a lot of rants about it. So we figured we'd do um, a try a measured approach. I am, I'm, well, we'll get into this, but I am on the anti TypeScript camp. Scott is, uh, I think I would categorize you as a pro, pro TypeScript. Uh, I'd say that I'm Pollyannish about it, Evan. Polly, oh, that's such a good word. <laughs> and Joe's in the mi- in the middle. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I am lukewarm about TypeScript. Lukewarm, lukewarm. Yeah, lukewarm. Uh, I'm the I'm the the baby bear of the TypeScript no. porridge. <laughs> uh, well, typically what we do is we like do a little chat. So you know, it's it's hard to do a chat with your people. But uh, what's up? What's new in your world, Scott? I haven't talked to you in in a, in a little while. Well, I probably should have started out uh, that I am enraptured to be here, uh, very, very enamored and and absolutely enthralled to be a part of this. Oh. Uh, uh, if if it ever comes to be another time where we're talking about component UI, I, I'd I'd love to come back and discuss component UI in depth. But um, basically, uh, I'm, for me, what's new. Uh, I've recently switched teams from doing component UI uh, and more so moving towards uh, the architecture of front end, uh, working on the entire platform, which has been very exciting. Uh, it's it's a lot of new stuff being thrown at me at once, but I'm excited to uh, get more well-rounded in front end. Yeah, Hello. Scott's moved over over to our team. We're super excited to have you uh, on our team. Not like our my direct team, but like we kind of have these two sibling teams, and Scott's on the sibling team. And uh, so far, it's been great. You've really Uh-oh. really brought, brought a lot of positivity. Uh, that was just like two months, something like that. Oh, nice. Yeah, around November. What's like? What's a highlight and a low light? Oh, 
highlight a low light of the new team? Yeah, just the transition because you were you were working in UI for like many years, and we're kind of like a, a you're a figurehead in the in the design system world at Wayfair. I'm just gonna say like everybody fucking knows this Wayfair, <laughs> um, and and the design system there. So like, what's yeah, this is a big this is a big shift. This is like uh, if George Washington switched to the Union Army. I was terrible. Nope, that was bad. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? So give me a highlight and a low light. Like what's 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 an up and a down. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with the low light. A low light is I uh, don't move as quick as I'd like to. And this is probably something that you folks always uh, worry about in the back of your mind, any any engineer, that you're not moving as fast as you'd like to, especially as a company grows. Uh, but a lot of it is just learning new things at once. Uh, and I guess the highlight of it is I, every time I learn something new, I stop and I take my two hours to make sure I know it. Uh, I, I know that in two hours, you don't fully know something totally, but you get a good grasp on what you're learning to the next time you come back to it. Where did that two hours thing come from? I think that we're supposed to have like two hours a week to learn new things. Uh, I try to make two hours of my day learning something new, yeah, regardless if like, that's at work or not. Sorry, Joe. No, that, that's a good idea. And yeah, we get like a sanctioned or, you know, we get, we get official two hours weekly where we can, you know, focus on learning something new. But I think, yeah, I think that's a good idea, no matter what you're doing, especially if you're new on a team. I remember when I first came to the platform team, and it's just so overwhelming, because you're just learning so many new things at once. And I think on on our platform team, like we do a bunch of stuff with all different kinds of uh, technologies that I, like are are pretty foreign, unless you've been working on the platform team um, for a little while. And so like, yeah, there's definitely an expected amount of ramp up. There certainly was when I when I started my my manager was like, yeah, don't expect to really be productive for like the first three months you're working here. Yeah, I got to work on the build kite pipelines. That's something I've been interested in just getting a better understanding of Docker. And I love UI. uh, And I have hot, spicy takes about that later. Um, But just having more well-rounded understanding of the front end, I feel like the technology continues to grow so rapidly. Having a better overall grasp is a better career move for me. Absolutely. That makes sense. Um, uh, From a grass is greener other side, though, I'm working in like 100% infrastructure stuff now, and I just wish I miss uh, working in UI. So it's kind of funny (laughs) how that pendulum can swing like super far. Um, Yep. But yeah, Joe, you're about to say something. I was going to say, Scott, you're also a keyboard aficionado. We were we had an in office day. We you know a lot of, a lot of, for for a lot of our work we do we work from home, but maybe once a month or a couple times a month we make it into the office. And I saw Scott's whole setup. So he just he just showed us uh, his bright blue and yellow keyboard. Uh, and also the other thing I saw is this. Uh, yeah, he's got this little like is that like a stream deck or whatever? So it's a macro pad. So it has like a numpad keys on it, but uh, there's a program called Via or Vile, uh, two different ones. And you can actually just program those keys to be whatever. So so I actually make like keyboard shortcuts, like one button programs. So I make it easier to like swipe windows left and right uh, in VS Code, like create a two up panel, both vertically or horizontally. So like keyboard shortcuts I do commonly. Uh, and I'm going to have an article and blog post about this on my portfolio, which I'm plugging Joe on motivating me to do um, in the future. But I like to make it as easy as possible to do like simple tasks, be as lazy as possible and inefficient. 
It's pretty cool. And you 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 built that numpad yourself. You like you you were showing me the kit, and I was like, I want to do that. You got you got got out your soldering gun and everything. Yeah. So I soldered the uh, macro pad. Uh, I have other keyboards I've soldered. These keyboards are what's called hot swap. So there are sockets that you stick switches into. And from there, it just works. Uh, this this macro pad actually has those hot swap sockets, but you had to solder those on. Uh, and this was a little more complex than soldering a keyboard because it actually has these like little diodes on it. And those were kind of rough my first go. Uh, I admittedly made mistakes. Like I didn't realize that the electric charge ran a specific way. I was just putting them in and not paying attention. And I basically borked my first attempt. Uh. So I've built like three or four cents. I've never made this mistake again, but you know, you <laughs> learn, you learn from your failures, from your mistakes. So it was yep. a good, uh, it was a good pandemic, uh, new chore for me. And I, I still like build keyboards there. I spent a lot of money on it. I probably shouldn't, but <laughs> brings a lot of joy to me. So that's like every hobby for every dude. He's like, I spend a lot of money on this and I probably <laughs> should. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's super cool though, man. I always get like, I always look at developers who do that. I have someone on my team that has like 15 monitors and has like multiple little, he has like a stream deck and has all these different things and Alfred like power user and all this stuff. I, I always think like, wow, when I see it all because he's <laughs> doing all this crazy stuff and I'm over here with like my Mac keyboard and my regular keyboard shortcuts. And I always feel um, less than, I think, is the way that I would put it. <laughs> but for some reason, I never bring myself to get to that level of uh, automation and like efficiency improvements. And I, I know, like, what's a good way to start? Is it like, should I just take like a week off and just look for every shitty thing in my life and try and make it faster in some way? Well, what's a good way to start? Honestly, if you're interested in something like this, I would just get something cheap and, and make it. Um, I remember you in an episode, you kind of talked about developing faster and there's like a specific type of keyboard these guys like to get. Like, I'm not into that. That's crazy to me. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I, I like yeah. pretty traditional keyboards. I like to play around with a little bit with the layout, but I'm uh, like I, what's popular in the keyboard culture is called wind keyless. So you don't have a command key or like a Windows key. And oh, come I, on. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, to me, that's like, all right, I'm not buying that. Uh, that yeah. seems like it's too counterproductive. Hard. What they like to do is they map their command key to uh, caps lock. See, I have my control key mapped to caps lock. Interesting. But, that's, but I still use my command key. Caps Lock's definitely useless. That's true. Yeah, uh, that's I, I agree with yeah. That. We can all agree on that. Yeah, Caps Lock is a stupid key. Yeah, it also you keeps you from shouting accidentally. when you don't mean to. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, we have gone pretty far afield. I feel yeah, like what? we should get it back to the article. Maybe? We should. Well, you're welcome. I, I, I've got an important question for both of you. What is it? What uh, are you reading? Well, we got a twofer special today because we have we got three people, so we got two articles. It seems like the math works out there. So we're going to do two uh, conflicting articles, I guess is what we call them. So I'm going to intro one. Mr. K is going to intro the other. The first one is TypeScript is terrible for library developers. And this is an – I just love the title. 
Um, this is on Erock's blog. I don't, I don't actually know the name of the developer. Um, anyways, so the TLDR of this article is that this team, it's a rant that this team spends a disproportionate amount of time on types uh, as a library owner. Uh, so it goes into some of the reasons why um, TypeScript is sort of like great in theory for some uses, but maybe not like perfect for all uses. And that's sort of my general argument on TypeScript. So it talks about um, a number of different things, documentation, debugging, complexity, and testing, maintenance. Um, you know, in general, the library developers look at TypeScript, which I think the what they bring up in here we can talk about are extensible to just general TypeScript thoughts. Um, so that's one article. Scott, if you want to intro the other one. Yeah. So the other one is called TypeScript. Stop using any. There's a type for that. Uh, and again, it's like a conflicting article here, but it, it kind of recaps the need to actually use types in TypeScript and not just using any. That any is not just a wild card, but it helps uh, with the compiler, it will yield the compiler obsolete just using any the whole time. There's that we're, we're passing up opportunity to document the code we're writing with types and basically writing defensive coding with, with types. Nice. So we got, we got a, a, a head to head here. It's not really a head to head. I mean, like the, the TypeScript is terrible for library developers is not necessarily a like type TypeScript is terrible blanket statement. Although I do have a theory that that's how Evan discovered this article. I think he just Googled yeah. TypeScript is <laughs> no, terrible. That's exactly how I found it. <laughs> Basically, I spend a lot of time just Googling TypeScript sucks to find uh, people who agree with me. So, Well, this I'll article's right. not wrong, Evan. It's not. <laughs> okay, I, here's what I want to say. We're, we basically use these articles as a thinly veiled reason to just talk about TypeScript. Um, so we might not get into like the specifics of these articles, although we, we may. Uh, but here's what I want to say. TypeScript for in general is a, is a good idea. Uh, like there's parts of, our, of, of the stack that I work in now and the stack that I've seen where TypeScript is super, super nice. And, and what I would say is like, uh, API layers, you have like a typed schema and then GraphQL, like we infer those types and we can even auto generate, um, some of our like methods that we interact. So like we can auto generate, uh, queries, mutations, et cetera, from that. And that just all happens out of the box. And that makes that awesome. Uh, types are great for vanilla JavaScript, uh, implementations and, and a lot of things that are like straightforward. Although the, uh, this article doesn't exactly agree with that. If you have like highly dynamic types, uh, they can get confusing. But for me, and this is the point that I only really care about with TypeScript, is that TypeScript and front-end uh, frameworks, not frameworks, front-end UI libraries like React, that intersection is where TypeScript loses its value for me. Um, so that's that's just my general, like the hill that I'll die on is TypeScript in React is a massive pain in the ass. And TypeScript, super dynamic TypeScript, again, loses its value. But I have lots to talk about there. I, I have like all these counter arguments for why TypeScript is great, but I, I want to stop for a second. Yeah. Well, I, speaking, 
Well, sorry, Scott, I was just going to lead, I was going to lead you in because I was going to say like we have, so this article is about TypeScript for library developers. And so it's all about uh, developing TypeScript from a library perspective, which is really different from an application perspective. Like you're developing uh, an API that other people are going to be, uh, going to be interacting with, like a, not a, yeah. not a, um, not a REST API, you know, not a, not a network API, but a library API. And you have to do that uh, with well-defined types. And uh, Evan, you're talking about you're talking about like UI frameworks, UI libraries, and like Scott is the is the the Venn diagram overlap of these things. Because Scott, you've spent a lot of time developing the UI framework, and uh, and I mean you developing the component library that like is part of the UI framework that we use. Yeah. So speaking as a former library developer, it's not all wrong. Uh, part of it is correct. Uh, I I do, however, believe there are pros that this this specific article didn't mention uh one being just like if we're working with props and types in vs code uh you get all of that just just by using the visualizer that it gives you i think that's the biggest pro we get from libraries having typescript um the biggest pain points and got a hot take here but like i, I believe if it takes you 45 minutes to read that typescript error that's not clear uh that's it's multiple layers deep. Let's get back to it. It, it. This is tech debt, basically, right? This is, you know, this is, I, I have a, in my heart, I don't like tech debt and I think we should avoid it at all costs, but this is something that can get, get really into the weeds and thick. Uh, example of that is like polymorphism in um, TypeScript, basically like everywhere on the planet, we have, there's an as prop, but at Wayfair, Oh, it's an is prop. Uh, anyway, as prop is mutating the element over and over and over again. We ran into some like difficulty setting polymorphism up. We ended up referencing some chakra solutions, uh, and it was just creating havoc basically every time we use the box component. This is a this is a scenario where it's like okay, we can stop, put an any here, create a ticket, follow up with like a better solution, look for better alternatives out in the wild. For our uh, listener base, can you say a little bit about what polymorphism is? I think uh, we want to make sure we get you know uh, accessible. To yeah, everybody. polymorphism is one of those words that uh, sounds more complex, but as I understand it, um, in this context, it is something that is going to change. Essentially, basically, all it is in this context is the element type. So the HTML element you're using is going to change from any any type, any available type. So we have a box component. It could be an anchor tag, could be a div, could be anything, could be a, a summary tag. Um, and we needed to identify a way for us to be able to make that change without basically the TypeScript compiler yelling at us. Uh, and that that is a difficult problem to solve. Again, there are like some UI libraries out there that do it well and great reference points. And, and this is, an example of a really complex problem that a lot of people have to solve that is like not worth the time invested to rebuild from the ground up every time it happens, but rather looking at how other people are solving it and find a common ground there. And in the short term, if you got to throw an any on there or a potential unknown type, that is a perfectly fine and valid solution. I think that TypeScript, again, I, I am a Pollyanna about TypeScript. I'm very optimistic that it's good, but in a, in a situation where 
it, it, it's especially good in a situation where you have a lot of engineers who are lurking, working on a big project. If you're working on a smaller project, it's personal. Like I used it in my portfolio. Is it good? It's not that helpful, um, but it's more helpful. Like my article said, when you know someone else, some other engineer might need to take it over. And by using types, you're kind of documenting what you intend the code to do more specifically. Like if it, JavaScript doesn't care if it's a number or a string and you convert it six times over, but that could be a mistake. If we do that in TypeScript, we have to recast it and say it. So we know that it was intended. So it makes the next engineer's job easier. Oh man, Joe, go ahead. <laughs> no, I, so yeah, I, I think that, um, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to sort through my thoughts about some of some of this stuff. I think the tech debt thing is, is important to think about because when I think about TypeScript and tech debt, if I'm talking about sort of the more negative sides of TypeScript that I see, it's like people, uh, I think there's this sort of blanket, uh, understanding that TypeScript is good with a capital G. It's like adding TypeScript to your code base is always 100% of the time a net positive. And I think that people just don't think about the trade-offs that come with it. Because if you add TypeScript at the very beginning to your code base, it's not, I'm not even talking about necessarily like small side projects, even big side projects, even big projects, not just like side projects. Um, there is a trade-off because you will spend a certain amount of time wrestling with the, uh, with the compiler in order to get your types right. And if that is worth it, you know. If your comp, if your if your uh, code base is complex, and if you have, you know, ha are using TypeScript in all in all the right ways, then like that could definitely be a net positive, where it's like giving you the right type of feedback in order for you to make sure that your code is is safe. Um, but you don't need TypeScript to you don't need TypeScript uh, TypeScript to like uh, you know to 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 keep a string is a string and keep a number as a number. Like you can do that with, with JavaScript. You just have to make the decision to say like this variable was defined as a string or a number, and we're just going to keep it that way throughout the entire data flow. Of course, sometimes that can, that can, you know, bugs can come out of that if maybe a developer doesn't, doesn't see that. But I think if people are being vigilant, I, I don't remember the last time that has happened to me before, because I, we just, you know, we just tend to define a variable as a, as a type and then use it as that type. And like, we don't tend to do this sort of like uh, type casting, I guess that happens automatically with JavaScript. Um, you know, we, we just we just tend to stay away from it. And I know there are more advantages of TypeScript, like when you can define a, an interface and, and uh, I'll, I'll stay away from talking about that for now, but we can probably get back to that. Yeah, TypeScript is like a polish for some project that's gonna have many engineers interacting with it. When you know you're at like a level with an application that's so large that you have those kinds of time, like you don't have time constraints, you have time to actually invest in the types. Yeah, I mean, where it gets, so the polymorphism example is an interesting one. So you talk about a box and you're trying to type the box. So you're, you're, you're a library owner. So you fall into this TypeScript is terrible for library developers. Because um, what you wanna do is make it easier for the consumers of your library uh, to like look at this thing and say, I know exactly what I can do with this component. Um, I know all the things that I could pass to it. So, you know, you want to say a box is a list item, a box is whatever. Um, so you have to type that and then you have to write out a bunch of types 
that it could be like, or this, or this, or this, or this, or this, or this. And every time I see that, I think like, or it's nothing like, or what's the point? Um, Cause like that's giving you that falls under the, it's making my IDE experience better. Cause like I hover it and I can see all the things that it is. Uh, Visual Studio Code can do that for you in other ways with less investment. Um, so I also think like simple doc, like a JS doc comment that says, this can be any HTML tag. And then you hover it and it just says, this can be any HTML tag. And you go, hmm, like, do I, do I actually need to write out 15 different HTML tags that it could be so that when I hover it, I see them all. That's where I start to think like someone a while back said, this makes it better. And everybody just went, yes, it does. And then it's, I'm just waiting, I'm just waiting for people to say like, how much better does it make it? Cause are we saying that makes it 100% better, 1% better, 2% better, but how much time does it take to maintain that? So when I, when I hear like, the pro TypeScript arguments. And again, I'm just trying to be like, I'm trying to play devil's advocate. I think TypeScript is a wonderful tool. And, and like I've always said in my career, and I think this gets you pretty far is there are tools, you don't use a hammer for literally everything. You don't use a drill for literally, there's tools for jobs. Uh, and when you use the right tool for the right job, the job goes quick. If we use the wrong tool for the, for the wrong job, the job is really hard. So TypeScript is a tool. Uh, and I think there's a lot of usages for it, but you know, you say, a lot of people say you get a better editor experience. They say that it eliminates the need for certain types of tests because you just like TypeScript covers that for you. Uh, like for instance, you know, you don't have to write if it's undefined in every one of your functions or something like that, because TypeScript covers that ground for you. Um, that it generates user docs, like TypeScript automatically generates user docs or better documented code because it's self-documenting. Uh, the types are self-documenting, but you can do a lot of stuff that is not self-documented with types typed code. Uh, I've seen a lot of typed code that is impossible to read uh, and doesn't make it easier. <laughs> like it, the, so that argument, all of these are contextual, and also it's like an early warning system for developers. Like I'm doing the wrong thing with this function, so I, I bail early. Whereas like it would stop you from getting to the say browser or uh, runtime environment or whatever to find that error. Those are all true sometimes and not true other times. And that's all I'm like, that's sort of the argument I just wish would be had more is how effective is it? Um, and how much are you paying for that? Because I think there gets, there's this blinder that gets put on where I'm going to, I'm going to spend time with types because it's going to get me all this benefit. But then you're not actually changing the level of complexity. You're just obscuring it into different ways. Like you're spending the time that you would have spent on an error on writing the fucking type for the error. Um, so like it's, it's all, it's just like moving, moving pieces around. And I, I want to do that intentionally rather than uh, like as a side effect of, oh, TypeScript is good. So I'm going to add it and then spend all this time. That's, that's my next, that's my next hot shot. Yeah. Uh, I think that, um, I think that, you know, I, I'm thinking about some of the things, some of the points that this, this, uh, or this, um, article author brings up. So this, this author is this guy named Eric Bauer, who I was looking at, I was actually reading some of the hacker news comments. And the reason why I know that his name is Eric Bauer is because he maintains Redux saga. So he's not like a, this isn't just some, like some like random person who is like writing some small library. Redux, Redux saga is used by like many, many, many developers. And his pain points are coming from the point of view of somebody who has to maintain this library that's used by a lot of people. Um, 
And some of his points I disagree with, like, especially like right out of the gate, he makes a couple of points that I, that I disagree with, but, um, but, uh, I, I do think that he, you know, he, he does have a lot of good points in here and, and the, some of the good, good points are, are, um, it, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like his point of view is not, Hey, let's go back to JavaScript. And the hacker news thread is really interesting uh, on this article because because like people, there is a lot of back and forth, and I was sort of expecting it to be much more TypeScript love, and and I think that's actually why we like it's why we tend to talk about this because there's not enough of the other side of the conversation happening, at least that I see. There's not enough people questioning whether something that is pretty much universal universally loved is like always the best idea. Um, so he's not coming from the point of view of, uh, of like, Hey, we should just use JavaScript instead. Um, his point of view is documentation for library developers is terrible for TypeScript. TypeScript is like based around, you know, especially documentation is based around application development and it gets really, the, the place it gets really complicated for, for library developers. Like one example is with generics, because if you're developing a library, you don't know what type thing, what, what type something is going to be necessarily at like when you're the application owner uses it you're letting them decide so like if you're not familiar with typescript generics it's like sort of like a function argument you 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 put in a slot for like the application owner will define this type later so if you're like you know a good example is like a a promise has a generic type and then you can when that's when that's called you can say this is going to return a string and you define that at at runtime so that's what generic is so it sounds like you know generics and especially like a specific kind of generics, uh, he's run into some issues with that. And, um, but his kind of like his bigger point is that, um, TypeScript just gets really complex for, for library developers. He goes on to say, uh, he doesn't think that should be the, uh, the, the way it is. Like he's like the, the application owner should, should handle all that complex complexity. He even says like, um, he says, in effect, we're shifting complexity from end developers to library developers. This places a huge burden burden on us to be experts with how TypeScript works. I kind of think that's how it should be. Like library developers, it's you're kind of uh, bound to ha- like have a little bit more complexity in order to hide that away from application owners a little bit. Like not in all cases, but um, but there there are certainly cases where I think that's like hugely beneficial for for the application owner. I mean, think about if if like React or Vue or, or Svelte or one of these uh, frameworks like exposed all of these things that the the uh, application owner needed to uh, get into the internals in order to use it. It just wouldn't be viable. I don't think React kind of did that a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> I feel like React with all these new hooks is is doing that. Um, but the issue with generics and the issue with like the the article mentions this last thing where it says like I feel like I have to be uh, an expert in TypeScript to be effective, and that is I think that's a tough one for me because so Scott you are you have a ton of experience in TypeScript, so you can walk through these issues with confidence. Um, and I don't know how long that took to get to that point, but for me, you know, I, I haven't been exposed. Like I've, I started writing something in TypeScript like a couple of years ago, but I don't work in it. I have to now, but I didn't work in it for all these years and I don't want to learn it. But then I feel like I either know enough to just like, oh, I can do TypeScript stuff. And then I hit some bug where it's like, I have, I, I feel like I don't even know what web development is anymore. 
so that's the tough part is like the it's it feels so binary to me it's like typescript is either like this thin layer and it feels super sweet or it's this like brutal eight nested eight problem deep thing and i'm like control clicking through all these types to try and figure out what the hell's happening and i don't know how to fix it so like maybe that's part of it is i'll admit a lot of this hate is probably just because i don't know enough um so i i don't know if there's like some something there like at what point does it become good that you know enough and you feel like you can you you know what you're doing i don't know yeah, um, I, I think I actually got lucky because being forced into a situation where I had to do everything in TypeScript all at like one time just kind of taught me to be better at it. I do reson that point resonates with me. It is hard to be good at TypeScript without understanding all of it. Um, and, and to Joe's point, talking about the generics, the whole polymorphism example, we're just using generics. And we get it. We got into what I call type hell when you basically can't really understand where and why changing things or changing a, a property on it is is causing the error down the line. Um, so I, I see that point. Uh, I'd still say like at some level, like I try to do everything in TypeScript as simple as possible. Um, there. I don't fully know to reach for some of the more abstract concepts, like like the utilities, like records and such. I always have to re-reference them when I know that they're available, but they are powerful and, and can make things simpler. It's, it's a lot of learning there. Um, but I, I almost like it for its, its simplicity, like writing things as dumbed down as possible and as easy. I find the most hardest TypeScript is taking something that wasn't TypeScript at first and making it TypeScript because you find that, you know, you mutate a value that it's not like a big deal, but then you, you just find yourself in again, like type hell that you're like constantly recasting a thing. And then you're like, is this, is this right? Well, it's not wrong. It's more, it becomes preference at that point. So I, I just have a strong, like you talked a lot too, Evan, about, like, where's the boundary here? Like with the tool, like it's a tool that definitely eats up a lot of time for sure. Um, and that's why, like I talk about using any or, or unknown. Um, a, I don't want to say laxed or loosely because I, I worry often that engineers take advantage of it and we're not, we're going to get no value really if we just use it. Uh, but for these more complex problems, it's, I don't believe it's worth 45 minutes to just make sure like one type is being satisfied. Uh, I, that, that is like definitely like a red herring of TypeScript and you, the, the error messages are not great all the time. Like sure. Like you have Facts. this really complex, you got this really complex type and then you got this other really complex type and you got to find like needle in a haystack, the one little thing that might be off. But at the same time, um, you know, there, there is, and you, you could probably do this with prop types. There is an example I have of something that was like TypeScript was great for. Um, we we always hide the accessibility at work inside of our components. We try to bake it in as much as possible. But when it comes to are you labeled or are you labeled and are you labeled by, at some level, the engineer has to have an understanding they need to do it. 
uh, we were able to like use union types and create like a few types and, and, and the never type and basically create, I believe off the top of my head, it was two different unions. One that's like, I'm using all of the interface with ARIA label. And the other one is I'm using all of the ARIA uh, interface with ARIA labeled by. And then we create like a never type for those. So basically we guarantee, sorry, sorry. So it's two different never types. So we basically, we guarantee that you never use both of those at once. So we are basically able to use unions to confirm that you use one always, but never use both, uh, which I thought was a very unique and cool solution TypeScript provided. Took a little bit of effort to get there, um, but that's so far been my favorite addition. And again, I'm sure you could you, you could throw some errors, right? Use this thing, not both. But this was like a nicer way to do that, uh, and you get a a more clear error. See, that is a, that to me is a great use of TypeScript. Like that's a that is one of the ideal use cases of TypeScript because you can define. Uh, you can make these impossible states impossible. Like that's one of the that's one of the pe things people talk about when they talk about TypeScript. Um, is you can make these impossible states impossible, and and they're uh, x uh, what's called Xcode is it no not not Xcode um, X state is another you know uh, um, state machine library is another. Uh, another way that you can you can do that it's you know it's uh it's kind of coming at that same concept from a different angle but you're kind of trying you're you're what you're doing is you're saying you're defining you can only go these places from this one you know you only have two direct two available directions from this one direction and so um using using you know never in that uh clever way that that it sounds like you are you're basically saying uh you're saying like you can't get into this state in which you have both an aria label and an aria labeled by in the same component. That's great. So I think that so this is where the counter TypeScript argument comes in. Uh, not counter TypeScript, but is that is that the level of abstraction that that problem should be solved at? And I think that's a question that we should ask all the time, right? And we do ask that all the time. So. Are, like first off, starting at the level of abstraction of the browser, uh, aria label and aria labeled by shouldn't be used in the same HTML element. However, if they are, the browser has accounted for that situation and aria labeled by will be given preference. So it's not like th something explodes, um, but if you have aria label and aria labeled by, aria labeled by will be given preference. So that that is a, is basically a safe end state. Now you might end up with a situation where you meant to use aria label, you used both and your aria labeled by is referencing an element that doesn't exist. And then you break accessibility. Then you arguably should have some sort of automated testing in place uh, that should catch like aria label, aria labeled by are typically easily programmatically caught. So that's another level of abstraction. Then there's the unit test level of abstraction that says, if I'm writing a library, could I, I could write a unit test for that in less than a minute. I could just say, if you have both of these things, unit test fails. Um, you know, and that's, that's another way to go. Uh, it, it, and that's the fastest, I think, solution, end state solution to that problem. Now, writing the TypeScript solution means at the, and this is pushing that to the uh, end developer. So the consumer of that API now doesn't have to run unit tests because they might not be. Right. They might not be a developer that even knows that JustWatch exists, uh, which in, in fact like is a lot. 
uh, of developers and they just might throw that thing into prod or they'll probably hit the unit test error, but there's a lot of steps in the way that they could end up getting that to production. So doing that in the TypeScript layer means the library developer has to spend, I don't know how long that took. I'm going to assume a couple of hours to figure all that out, um, you know, to get all that done so that the end developer can get caught immediately and say, oh, I'm not supposed to use both these things. And it's a teachable moment, which I agree is like a net positive result. I just think about that cost over time multiplied by a hundred instances of doing that for the library owner feels like it's a huge expense just to be, just to like account for the fact that a developer won't do X, Y, and Z and won't know what they're doing with like a, a, you know, basic ally principle. And I'm not saying that's bad. I think that's like a, awesome solution. You know, I think that's super smart. And I love also that it's like a library is committed to making ally baked in and born accessible. Um, and that just, that just makes me think about that cost over time as someone who's like super cost focused for developer productivity. Um, you know, I don't know. That, that's just, I just think about that all the time with TypeScript. I actually think you're right about that. Um, especially from a cost perspective. I think the one thing that TypeScript provides is if you use the IDE, you'll see that up front versus a test might require. And again, it's less time yep. than it might have been to create that. Uh, but it will take some time to, to understand why, the why behind it. Because um, m- most tests, like the test will probably just say, you know, don't use both or whatever. And maybe that's not clear why. Um, so th- there is some level of understanding still there. Um, however... I do agree that unit tests can be used more effectively in some situations like this. Yeah, I'm glad you guys brought up tests because that was I was waiting for that. I was I was rubbing my palms waiting for somebody Get to in talk there, about tests. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, in this specific case, you know, I think that because it's a library, you can you can have a unit test for your library that says uh, make sure that these two props aren't on the same component. But then when that gets to the application owner, like that. They don't have that that safety of that of that test. That's where TypeScript comes in for the application yeah, owner. That's, you know, that's a good that, call out. Yeah, yeah, that's that's where like defining that type and in the library benefits the application uh, developer because the application developer would then have to write their own unit tests to say like, oh, we're not using these two in any of our application code too. But that aside, like. I think that tests are are there's this like straw man article uh, straw man argument that uh, that TypeScript can replace all your tests that like if you're using TypeScript you don't need any tests and like <laughs> that just drives me crazy and actually that's one of the other things that I disagree with about this article because uh, this 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 guy says. Uh, says he um it cannot be overstated how much work is involved with writing and maintaining good automated tests so that anything can yeah basically like i i disagree with that with that statement like i would say that's true for typescript that that and and he goes on to himself say that's true for typescript but i think that it's it's again it's like this trade-off that you need to intentionally decide how much uh, how many tests do we want to write versus how much coverage do we you know how much do we want to invest in typescript um but I do think that the argument that TypeScript uh, can can like catch all your bug. I don't. I, maybe I'm over. You know, maybe, maybe that's an overblown uh, argument. But people say TypeScript can get rid of a whole class of bugs, and I and they say that with this like grandiose a whole class of bugs. But like to me, that class of bugs is like 
not a huge percentage of the bugs that you end up seeing in production. Um, and it is a little bit bigger than just like, you know, type errors. There is a little bit more to it. But the class of bugs that can be caught by unit tests, integration tests, end-to-end tests is much, <laughs> the surface area there is like much bigger, in, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and I also want to just add to that. It, it just kind of brings up the second article here um, about how a lot of our types are like, semi-documentation for like the application users. They might not know uh, anything about the UI that they're working with. And they're getting some of that upfront. Again, you have to use the IDE to see that, um, which to be honest with you, for the majority of the transition, I wasn't using it at all. Um, I was just doing it. And I think that actually made me learn TypeScript a little better, but I wasn't faster because of it. Oh, wow. So, so so you did all of your TypeScript learning with no, with just like running TSC or like running the command line? Yeah, it was awful. I don't wow. recommend it for anyone. Wow. It's painful. I just, that's how I, I that's how I, I'm that's old school. That's hard mode, man. That and, is hard and, mode. Yeah. And now, now I'm like, man, you're just putting yourself through pain for no, no reason. It is, it is a nice tool and feature. Uh, but again, like that requires some level of effort to use. Yeah. Um, so it's a, you know I mentioned the testing like you could have saw that with testing. It's a good point, it's particularly with that ally thing. It's a teachable. You've basically like baked in teaching into the application. So for that yeah. thing, I actually think that's awesome. And yeah, uh, it's only with a union type, which is not hard to write or read, uh, or like you know a couple of the, the sort of lower lower complexity types. And I think that is where. Uh, I I really enjoy TypeScript and I think that's really helpful. And I've seen a lot of usage of TypeScript in like the application I'm working in now, where as I'm going through, it's teaching me things about the application, which which is fantastic. So again, like I'm not an anti-TypeScript guy. It's more, then I look at uh, like forms. We use a form. And then for forms, we use a library called Zod. And then Zod has schema validation. And then it's schema validation for highly dynamic input values that can be that is, so basically, we, like the the general concept is like a generic uh, attribute or a generic thing where you can say like this could be an input, this could be a text area, this could be markdown, this could be whatever, and you you can kind of have a factory for those things. So then you've got a form that can take highly dynamic form inputs. So basically, like a dynamic form that can take any kind of input. Trying to type that is just like mind boggling. So and then when you have to fix the types for that or add a new attribute type or add a new thing that that form could handle, your validation gets even more complicated and the code works. That's what kills me. So you'll be like, wow, this works. My unit test pass, my functionality is there, QA, whatever, the whole thing works. But I have like 45 red squiggly lines and a pre-commit hook that says I can't ship this unless like ESLint passes. Um, So like you have to solve the type problems. And what I want to do is just like, how do I tell TypeScript to just chill on this particular issue because all the code works, but it's like the, it's like an over the shoulder neck beard. That's really mad at you. This is like the code has to come out of your fingers. Perfect. Um, and, and that's where it, it gets tough for me because then that's like a couple of hours of investment. So you mentioned something like type hell, which this, this general concept is like, we used to have callback hell and then we had the next iteration where we had promises. And then, then we got async await. So my whole thing with TypeScript is, is this the right 
way to solve this problem because it's it's super complicated sometimes. And and then I look at like we get really into this and people keep buying into TypeScript and people love it. Is that going to limit our iteration of TypeScript? Because if not enough people are saying like, God, this sucks to work with sometimes, are we going to have the gumption to push for the next abstraction? Which callbacks we we dealt with in JavaScript for like 20 years. And then someone was finally like, oh, this really sucks. So we should do promises. <laughs> like, uh, so I just want to see that that development lifecycle go quicker with TypeScript and get to the next thing and the next thing, which is like, how do you get type safety, a reasonable amount of documentation and education in your app, uh, app and all that type of stuff, all the good parts of TypeScript with an API that doesn't require you to argue with a compiler for two hours to get code that works to pass your lint. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Tune in next week to find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So we should probably move on to the uh, the any the uh, don't use any article. Um, I had one other thought. Uh, well, and and don't let me stop stop either of you from from uh, saying any like final thoughts you have too. But uh, I I saw recently on the ESLint uh, package there was a they're talking about doing a big rewrite of ESLint. I don't know if if either of you guys saw this, but no. um, the one of the core maintainers of ESLint is like we are going to be doing a whole complete. It's the the title of this discussion is called complete rewrite of ESLint, and so he kind of lays out his whole plan. And one of the things in his plan is he's he says I'm going to keep this library JavaScript. I'm not going to make it TypeScript, and um, it just the comment section goes bananas with 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 just people going back and forth and it's actually it's a really interesting discussion it's i i feel like i kind of uh i got some insights out of this discussion i would recommend go to read it we can link it in the show notes we should link it in the show notes yeah yeah and who knows like it, this this core maintainer may come around and may end up deciding to use uh typescript but uh there is another library t um I think it's called like TS ESLint or like ESLint TypeScript. Uh, that is a, uh, uh, I don't know if it's a pl ESLint plugin or it's, it's somehow, it basically like uh, they provide the types for ESLint. And so these two libraries work together and, and my hunch is that that's going to be continue to be the case. But it was just really interesting to see this, this person uh, core maintainer for a major, major library say, we're sticking with JavaScript. And the other, you know, one of the other big libraries that does that, that I, that I can think of off the top of my head is React. React is not written in TypeScript either. It's written in JavaScript and they have, you know, uh, definitely, definitely typed, which is the, whenever you see like an at types uh, dependency in a package JSON that's coming from definitely typed. And what that is, is a separate type repo that is kept in sync or it's like, you know, you try to keep it in sync. I think a lot of problems probably arise out of that, but it's just interesting that, that a library as vital to the modern web as React is still written in, in JavaScript. So is like Vue, I think, and Angular. I think a lot of the front-end frameworks are still written in JavaScript. Solid.js maybe even. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is interesting though to think about that. Do we want to get to the any article? Scott, yeah, this is Scott's yeah. domain. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it's worth noting that uh, we talk. it talks a lot about what any truly is, right? Any is not like a wild card. Uh, it, it's not just there to interact with third-party libraries, but it's an opt-in and an opt-out solution. So a lot of the conversation I was having is like, I hate TypeL too. Uh, sometimes we get in it and we need to weigh the pros and cons of that. As a library maintainer, like the most important thing is that people know the props and they know what they can use and, and it's like there and it's straightforward. We, we should use, we should embrace and use any in situations where we're going to spend two or three hours 
just solving a small problem. We we have documentation anyway. So this for, it's like a fail safe for solutions that might fall through the cracks. Um, something else just to note is like, Evan brought up with earlier, like the time it might take to solve a problem. Um, one good thing about TypeScript is like once you solve or, or find a consistent pattern like that, that's learned like that itself should be documented, like the accessibility example we discussed as like a what to do in these situations. Uh, some of the other things is it introduces unknown. Just basically that if you don't know what you're getting, you can always use the unknown type. The unknown type does basically require you to at some level when you use it, recast it to the type you expect it to be. Uh, and and ex I've actually seen some crazy stuff at work where they're, they're casting things to unknown and immediately casting it to something else, uh, which I think is really just because I, I think it's async work that they should be specifying what they're getting ahead of time instead of having to cast it as unknown. But I, I've seen like a lot of recasting, recasted things that I just find difficult to read. I, I, I'm like of the elk. I've seen a, a whole Twitter thread on this, but I'm of the elk that the right way to, to type is to just tell me everything that I'm putting in it and then not worry as much about what's being returned unless we're in a situation we need to know what's being returned. I like that. Yeah. I've seen others who think that you should do both. You should say what's going in each function and then what's being returned. I don't have a, anything against that. I, I just also too think there's a time constraint here. Like if we know what it's going to be right up front, unless we're mutating it and we're recasting it singularly, I don't, I don't think that that's usually necessary. Um, and also I've seen just people recast things. I, I don't, I don't, I think that that's just difficult. I don't really know when that would be correct, but I've seen a lot of online chatter about what's the right way and, and doing both is what seemed to be preference there. Uh, but I, I just say we should just make clear what each function is expected to receive. And you should, in most cases, always be safe. Yeah. Um, gosh, I still have so many thoughts in general. <laughs> um, that I, that I almost just like every time we talk about a TypeScript principle, I just start to think like 10 more thoughts about how I feel about it. That's uh, all right. We'll just go a little long. Nobody's listening anyway. It's totally fine. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You only we're have already, one listener this week. We're, <laughs> one of the yeah. listeners is on the show. Uh, so, <laughs> so, okay. Looking at the, the concept of like, God, okay. Casting things like you're, you're talking about, we're going to cast it this way, cast it that way, cast this way. And that's bad. Sure. That is also JavaScript. And there's a part of me that, um, I don't care. So look at react testing library, react testing library. We all love. It's an incredible testing library. Actually, I don't know if we all love it, but I think we probably all do. Part of it is because it, it codifies this concept of the testing user. And I'm going somewhere with this. You don't, like test the internals of your component because no one's going to effing see that. You test what comes out of it. You test the end game. So I think about with, with types as well, with TypeScript and type safety, I don't actually care 
that if it gets cast five times to Sunday, if it comes out the other end and goes to my user the right way, because I think about the end user. I think about when TypeScript is the epitome of testing internals. It's just like you're, you're testing the internals of your application. So you're building a harness to test all of the ways, like is my code, is JavaScript, how am I controlling JavaScript? And I, and I, I, I like think conceptually that we shouldn't, if it's if it adds like a whole nother level of mental abstraction to development, because I look at it, I think like I can willfully coerce types. Um, in fact, like that's built into JavaScript. Like if you do an equals equals equals, there's coercion built into that. Or if you do an equals equals, it's coer it's it's there's coercion built into the language, like built into the algorithm for comparing two values is type coercion. Uh, so it's just like in the DNA of the language is type coercion. And then we are monkey patching all of this stuff on to stop us from doing that. So then how much development and how much of the language are you not taking advantage of when you force a Java style or like high, you know, a strictly typed language paradigm onto something that isn't, it just feels like you're trying to make JavaScript. Like, what? Well, just let it be who it is, you know? Uh, and that's, that's a really non-professional take, but the, the professional side of that is <laughs> there's a reason to coerce type sometimes, uh, and TypeScript doesn't want you to do that. Uh, and why is that good? Why? Yeah. I, I, I don't know that, uh, that, well, yeah, I mean, that might be true. Um, I think, I guess my take on it, I'm trying to like soften it a little bit. Cause I'm not, I, I, I don't, I do not disagree with you, uh, about a lot of what you said, I think that um, that instead of t thinking about that TypeScript doesn't want you to do it, I think about it in terms of like TypeScript wants you to be intentional about it. So if you're going to coerce something or if you're going to cast something as a different type, you have to say like this thing as something else, you know, string as number or whatever. And yeah. so so it makes it does make it like it explicit where in javascript you could just do it and like you'd never know and you'd totally you'd have a bug you know or you could have a bug um but typescript isn't the only language that does that you know like you you can also do that in like rust for example if you if you're working with like a uh unsigned 8-bit uh integer and you need to coerce it to like a u32 or whatever like you like you can just you do that in many statically typed languages too but um yeah i guess that's that's the only thing i think about that point, which is that it, it does make it a little bit more in intentional about it, at least. Do we have the car crash sound effect? <laughs> we need it. Yeah, it's it's somewhere. It's somewhere around here. I'll, I'll add it in post. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, the article kind of goes on to to discuss that, like any uh, can't guard against logic of null or undefined checks. Uh, it, like it makes you use null explicitly. It also discusses the. Like the big thing I think this article is great for is talking about the built-in documentation, you know, getting the IDE, getting, uh, especially for libraries, getting props on components, on UI, knowing what's available up front. Uh, and, it, and it makes writing some of that defensive coding go away. Uh, you might not need to, to check for some of those things. Well, okay. So I get, I get that. Joe, you mentioned it, you have to be explicit about that. You have to be intentional. So that's what you're talking, Scott, you just bring this up. It's like, it's just forcing intentionality that you have to know what you're doing and do it on purpose. 
uh, you know, the use of any should be on purpose. Uh, casting types should be on purpose. I agree with this conceptually. Um, it also is like uh, less fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think about like coming up in JavaScript land. Some of it is just like some of the beauty of JavaScript and why I think it took over the landscape like it did is because it's one of the most rapid development tools you'll find. It it's, can be run anywhere, which is great. It's browser-centric, all that stuff. But it's also that you can freaking run fast and loose with JavaScript and just get something going. Uh, and you may not exactly know why it's working, but you write a unit test for it and it works and the thing is like doing what you expect it to do, but you don't exactly know how sometimes. And to me, there's a little bit of magic there um, that can be fun. And again, this is not this is not a take endorsed by Amazon. Um, <laughs> you know, my like professional, I'm a software engineer. Like, don't, don't say that. But on the other side of it is like, there is a lot of me that um, from writing JavaScript, like you know, 2014 or something like that. I'm just making some who knows what uh, animation <laughs> or something like that. It was just fun not to think about this stuff. And I think it's like such a burden now. If you're, if you're learning, if you're learning JavaScript now, you're also learning a whole ecosystem of stuff. Like you need to know a compiler, you need to know uh, like TypeScript, you need to know types, you need to learn to be proficient because everybody's going to yell at you and say, if you don't work in TypeScript, you're like a fraud. Uh, Cause that's been said to me, you know, like, Oh, tell me you're not a production developer without saying, Joe, you brought this up one time. It's like, tell yeah. me you don't work in a production environment without saying you don't work in a production environment. And I'm like, F you, man. I've been working in like big ass code bases for years and years and years that didn't use TypeScript and make a billion dollars, $10 billion a year. You know, Wayfair didn't use TypeScript until very recently and made a lot of money. Um, most of the internet probably still doesn't use TypeScript. It makes a lot of money. Um, so I, I think like there's just so much of a burden uh, to get off the ground in web development, I worry like, I just worry about that a little bit. And I know that's not a super professional take, but. No, but th that's the exact uh, mindset that I dislike the most in with, around the whole TypeScript conversation, which is that like, you are not a professional developer unless you use TypeScript. You cannot be a professional developer unless you use TypeScript. And here's the thing is like, you know, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about ha casting types and, and things like this. And like uh, t taking the leap for, and, and also you're talking about playing fast and loose with, with types, which is like you, that kind of keeps JavaScript in, or, or I think that people who work in other languages see JavaScript as like just a scripting language, just like almost like a toy language because of that, like, because you can do that. But that's, that's making this leap that like, just because JavaScript allows you to do that means that you always have to do that in JavaScript. And that's not true. Like you, you can use JavaScript in a very, uh, a very, you know, um, uh, a strict way you can, you can impose, um, some guidelines on your on yourself without type. You don't need TypeScript to do that. Just like be a good developer, be like responsible developer. And like people have been writing large, complex programs in JavaScript for years. And you and I've seen plenty of it. And yes, I have also seen plenty of JavaScript that does have bugs and does play fast and loose with types. But like I've also seen plenty on the other side that is high quality JavaScript. And I mean, take React, take uh, ESLint. You know, it's these libraries that that we're talking about. Like. You can do it. You just need to be intentional. I think you made a strong point, Evan, about the learning curve for, I'm, I'm always viewing things through my own lens, right? 
if I didn't really know JavaScript well, and I'm trying to just learn TypeScript, I'm an engineer and they're like, oh, you'll just get it. You'll just pick it up. You got to actually have like a decently comprehensive understanding of how JavaScript works under the hood to know that TypeScript is going to work well for you. So if your your team or where you work is more junior, I mean, if your company's smaller, it's going to add another layer of complexity. So I'm always viewing it through the lens of like, I know JavaScript, I'd say decently well, to the point where learning TypeScript didn't feel, well, early it did feel like a chore. Um, but once I started to understand some of the basic pieces that, you know, make the most sense. And I, and my background is always, how can we make it the simplest as possible? So it's the easiest for anyone who goes and looks at it. Um, from that perspective, I thought, okay, not too bad. Uh, yeah, generics are a little bit, are usually the biggest pain. Um, and, and the one true concept that took a little bit of understanding. But if you don't have a great grasp on JavaScript, um, trying to grasp and juggle those two things, that's like, that's a daunting task for a junior engineer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a daunting task. It, it was a daunting task for me jumping into a code base that was uh, what I would call highly typed. Um, I don't know how you want to say that, but it's like where where types are, look, if you think of the example of TypeScript, it's like turn into 11. You know, every possible tool and trick in TypeScript was used um, in this application. It, it's just looking at it, it's like React becomes JSX I, I, is like a language I don't even understand anymore, um, which is sort of interesting to me. So one thing that I do want to cover um, is context switching. So this is something I think I don't think it's called out a lot with TypeScript. And, and maybe I'm crazy here, but Joe, you mentioned you've seen high quality JavaScript that doesn't use TypeScript and is easy to understand and effective, right? I think about functional programming paradigms, not like monads and whatever, but um, sort of uh, discrete functions, small functions, break things up, clean code paradigms, whatever, uh, that are very clear input output machines and, and you piece them together and you know exactly what's happening. So that functional programming paradigm, which is kind of break things down into its smallest unit of work uh, and, and there's no like inheritance models, you don't have to have any other context, but I, I physically can see where code is going bit by bit by bit. That runs really counter to me to how I see TypeScript getting implemented, which is like classes and inheriting from other classes. And it's sort of this OOP model um, where I, it, not always, but I see that a lot where it's like you have inheritance involved in your JavaScript or your TypeScript or whatever. So if I am writing functional programming, quote unquote, lowercase fp functional programming like react with uh these little functions and i'm trying to make things super discreet and then i have to like whoop let me hold on let me come back out and then remember how inheritance works and i'm like inheriting from this class and i'm going to extend this thing and do this you're constantly context switching programming paradigms and i don't know a lot i think it also starts to push what i've seen in code uh, this code uh, code base i'm in and other code bases it starts to like push people to write classes in javascript in general, like people just start writing as if they're in a Java app. And I start to see like Java, Java react. It's like this whole new world of people are because they're writing in TypeScript all the time, it just bleeds over. And it's this constant context switching that I think is an untold cost 
that that maybe just gets like rolled into oh i love typescript i don't know i don't know if anyone else has felt that pain i mean that makes me think of of like redux and the fat and like the I'm always looking at like five different files. Wait, what am I even looking at again? Kind of concept. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and you didn't even really get into the fact that like types can be large and conflate a file. And it's where, do, where, do, how do you manage them? Where do they live? Um, there are definitely situations where you're now, so now you have functional components in one, one, maybe multiple files. And now you have types in their own files. And then you might even have, uh, some some type of CSS in another file. So at, at what level does it just make it hard to remember bouncing between files, what you're looking through? Yeah, I do wonder how common that is. That's an interesting point about the like OOP and functional paradigms kind of like mixing with TypeScript. I know my my experience with TypeScript at when I first learned it was at a place where where we were using much more OOP than than functional programming and so like yeah i saw exactly what you're talking about evan where it was <clears throat> where it was like java style javascript it was also a bunch of people who had previously written a lot of java so i sort yep. of chalked it up to, i chalked it up to that but i do i wonder like how how prevalent that is where it's like people are gravitating towards maybe more java patterns uh because typescript kind of allows for that or maybe even encourages that i i don't really know yeah this this brings me to the final the final boss of my arguments, which is the tinfoil hat argument that TypeScript is just a way to infect front-end development with back-end development. It's just <laughs> a way to make, because like I think about where did it come from? It's Microsoft. What does Microsoft do? .NET development. They got a bunch of like C-sharp developers over there and they had to move into JavaScript because JavaScript's taking over. How do you make all those people feel more comfortable is you make JavaScript shittier and look more like C Sharp or look more like an OOP language to make everybody more comfortable. So you make your front end developers less comfortable and your back end developers slightly more comfortable. Now everybody is generally uncomfortable, but we have full stack developers everywhere. Again, not a professional tech, not endorsed by Amazon. <laughs> I endorse your conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy <laughs> theory. It feels like they're just trying to make front end code read more like back end code to make ev to make it one universal language. Like we're eventually going to just be in like one thing for all things. And I don't know. This is a conspiracy theory, but I do think there's some level of truth to making things feel more similar that allows folks who might be back end to feel a little bit more comfortable looking at it that there's more similarities there and that just adds a level of comfort or a starting place. Well, you say that and I feel bad. Um, <laughs> we should strive to make people feel more comfortable. So now I feel bad. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Joe, say that something. That was my intention. Yeah. I don't really have, I don't really have any, any takes on this. Like I think that uh, there certainly is uh, like what, at least what I've seen is that people do try to try to like unify their code bases, no matter, you know, no matter what, what you're working in, I think, especially for smaller teams, you you don't want to have uh, two people working in, or you don't want to have, sorry, two teams working in like two totally different paradigms, because then you don't have as much crossover. But like, to, to me, in a lot of cases, that's fine. If they're working in two different paradigms, like, it's fine to have your back, your back end be uh, more OOP style and have your front end be like, react, which has especially lately embraced more of the functional style. Um, like just 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 learn how to work in multiple paradigms they're, they're not really that hard to to you know to kind of wrap your head around and they're not really 
that different. I mean, th- sure, there are they're they're on the surface they're fairly different, um, but like you can you can get used to it (laughs) i guess it's the interesting part of that is like uh what's the are you really considering the trade-offs of of unifying your code base like are you really considering the trade-offs of well if we make all of our code base oop focused then uh like what what are we missing out on uh that we might be getting with with the functional programming model i don't know I'm just kind of trying. Just trying to say. I'm just kind of saying something because, like, that's. I don't really have many other thoughts on this. That was an exact actual, actual suggestion for our library. At one point, uh, should the app code and the web code be as similar as possible? And the argument for most of the web engineers is just no. They don't work the same. And you're you're never going to get an app engineer and who's a web engineer, or you might rarely see someone who's an expert at both. They're just two very different concepts. Uh, As far as a back-end engineer and front-end engineer, maybe there's a little bit more room there. Yeah. I mean, to, to sort of put a bow on all these things, I actually think if, if the world of TypeScript would abide by Scott's principles of TypeScript, we should make like a t-shirt. Scott's S-P-O-T, <laughs> spot. Oh, yeah, trademark. Whoa. Um, yeah, where it's like uh, it should be, it should help the end user. It shouldn't be, if you run into like hours of problems, that's when you use an escape hatch. But you use the escape hatch on purpose. Um, and yeah, the, like those two things, like that, that to me would solve a lot of my problems with TypeScript. I think what I see a lot of is like zealot, zealotry, zealous, zealots, where it's like you have you go full hog or you don't go any at all. Like if you use any or if you use unknown or something like that, you're a hack and then you have to spend the time to get through it. But I think a moderate approach, like Scott, it sounds like you have a moderate approach. It's like, I like TypeScript. TypeScript gives me benefit. When it doesn't give me benefit, I intentionally opt out of TypeScript in a way that doesn't hurt anybody. And that's okay. Uh, and you know, and I've like documented or whatever, but that to me is, would make this whole thing a little bit better. Um, you know, like if I'm, if I'm stuck in a react app and I'm trying to type HTML context stuff, I'm just like, holy, what am I doing here? Who is this helping? Um, so you kind of escape out, but then in other instances, if you're writing, you know, I also, oh, the other thing that you said is you like to type the input, not necessarily the output. Again, I think that's brilliant. Like I, these are, these are like Scott's principles of TypeScript that would make me a I would make me interested in TypeScript more. Uh, I wish that that was more, those sort of concepts were more widely shared. Maybe they are, uh, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I just don't see them very often, but that would get me in. The one thing that I, I like with, with, um, being more, relaxed with the with the output of a function than with the input of a function the one thing that that i i I kind of don't uh can't wrap my wrap my head around that i think because especially if you're working in a functional programming paradigm like you need to know that the output of that function because like chances are you're going to be dealing with the output of that function a lot it's like you might be piping functions together or something so like i would be curious to see a a use case for that where that where like the return value from a function is less important the the one that i'm thinking of is probably like a component because like you get a component out you know you know for the most part where you're going to get it might it might you, you might get some uh 
you might get some different subtleties within there, but I guess like for the most part, that would be a case where I would imagine you'd be less, uh, less concerned about the, the specific type that you're getting out. Right. I think that's a good example. I think like if you're working with asynchronous programming that you're returning, that those are examples of like, we need to know what we expect. Uh, but when you're working with a component, you're less likely it's a component. It's going to render some UI. We just they yeah. need to know that you gave us the right stuff. Uh, as far as what you're saying, Evan, I guess I, my philosophy is just like fast and loose. Like we want to, we don't want it to slow us down, but we want to be able to get a benefit and we want to be able to learn from it. And like I said, like initially it's like, I definitely am someone who hates tech debt and I'm somebody who hates seeing like, Oh, we'll get to this later comments because I know that, that time might not come uh, or come for a while because it's things us engineers have to care about. But one of the things about types is I, you can't get attached to them like code. You can't get attached to it might not be there tomorrow. So that that's really where my philosophy comes from. Like we might realize we need to make a dramatic change to how code works and spending 45 minutes or how upward of that time frame. Is that worth it if this thing might go away? We might not expect it to go away, but you never know what happens with code. Code shifts, changes, and it's expendable. And we need to also think that way. Oh, I love that. Code is expendable. That needs to be a t-shirt too. Uh, <laughs> too often, I think we get caught in um, engineering excellence or like engineering perfection, which maybe makes sense if you're writing... If you're writing code for like a programmable logic controller that is going to get put in a uh, a factory floor and won't get updated with firmware for 10 years, like you better get that shit right. But if mm -hmm. you're writing some React code, like that's probably <laughs> not going to be there tomorrow. So, you know, front end, it's like what level of excellence or technical rigor are you looking for? And TypeScript adds a level of technical rigor that I think has been heretofore reserved for backend development, which is like longer development life cycles and maybe will last longer. Like I'm writing a model for the database and TypeScript is going to be like strict typing is super helpful there because I know exactly the API is coming out of it. But then you get all the way down to like rapid agile development in the front end, agile, like capital A, whatever that means. And, and you're supposed to be delivering stuff like every two weeks. And then now I'm spending all this time to make things like, absolutely perfect. I know exactly what's going in and out. Um, that just feels like there can be a parachute there. Uh, where sometimes though, TypeScript can be like a sale, you know, it's making you faster. It's making development faster. It's tough to find that line. So I think what I'm looking for again, is that like future iteration, I, I was seeing some like new compiler. I forget what it was called, but it's going to like infer 90% more types because it'll be able to like run your code as it's, on the fly and do a lot of this work for you. Like, I just hope to see what's the next, what's the next iteration? Like can chat GPT write my types for me or something like that? Like, you know, how, how much can I, yeah, right soon. Maybe how much can I get away from me doing this and get it like into machines or get it away from me? Because it's like spending all this time to create this perfect artifice. That's just going to get torn down tomorrow feels a little counterproductive for the front end where like it gets back to my sort of fast and loose JavaScript comment of like the, the hallmark of JavaScript was rapid iteration. 
And the more we build structure around that uh, to make it perfect means that the hallmark of the language gets lost to become like every other language uh, or every other use. And then I think like that there's some of that heart gets lost. So how do we keep the original spirit, like a frontier ship for front-end development of like it's fast, we get to the customer, we learn, we iterate. How do we keep some of that and get better? Um, is like sort of the general model that I'd be hoping to take into 2023 and beyond with TypeScript and other improvements that we're looking at. Cool. I think that's a good that's a good place to stop it. Unless Scott, unless you have any uh, any final thoughts. No, that's great. All right. Well, with that, let's do. We're at, we're at, we're we're a little over. We're a little over where we usually go. Let's maybe see if we can do like a lightning round of there are our our uh, our last couple segments. So let's jump into what are you learning? What are you learning? Scott, did you come prepared? <laughs> that sound effect so embarrassing. <laughs> I loved it, Joe. Keep it. Actually, I didn't expect that one. I expected the other. Uh, I love the 8-bit. Uh, I can say I did come prepared. Um, I'm going to actually say this is something I learned. Um, I have a couple things here, but we'll just stick it. Uh, I, I deployed my portfolio in Next.js. I moved my whole site Ooh. over to Vercel. And I added MDX into it. The Next.js docs are great. Um, it was it was fairly they straightforward. Uh, the hardest thing for me was that I was getting emails from Vercel that like I hadn't done the work to move it over. So uh, I was talking to my old host, which was like Fat Cow, if you've heard of it. And I was like, "Have I did I do it right? And they were like, no, you did it right. But every two days I would get an email. So I was like, I opened an issue with Vercel. And I, they were like, oh, it worked on day seven. Cause it takes like five to seven days to process on day seven. It worked. And I just said, Hey, maybe you should just not send this email <laughs> like until seven days are up. And could you send that <laughs> to your team? That, that was like my suggestion for them, but it was like so easy. Um, I didn't, I, I just kind of thought about it, but it's like Vercel just, you know, Next.js just knows how your page flows. So it was easy for them to just, set up the domain and all the pages are already set up. Um, I highly recommend it. I've talked to other folks. They say like, maybe your portfolio doesn't need to be Next.js. I was like, no, it doesn't. Like maybe that is overkill, but the deployment and creation process made it so easy that why would I want to do it any other way? So it's like that a, was a great an advertisement for Vercel. Like, <laughs> that's like, if you it, can't it, tell, I like Vercel. <laughs> no, no I, I do too. And I think that's how they get you is like, you want, you want for sales deployment process. And the fact that they just like take AWS, which is a wonderful product, uh, but <laughs> maybe difficult to work with. You can tell I work at AWS and then they just like take all that away from you. It's so easy. And also Scott, what's that URL? We need, to, we need to put that. In the I was going to say, it, you got to plug it. Sure. You got to plug it. It's scottyk.com. Scotty K, we're gonna With put it in the y. show notes. Scotty first K, plug. oh Our yeah, first plug. Awesome. there's that's awesome. There's one page on it so far. I actually built so much UI for this site, and I said, and this is maybe coming up later, but I basically said, like, listen, dude, you don't have any content. Start writing some <laughs> blog posts and just <laughs> remove stuff. 
And I finally got it out there. That's good great. for you, man. Good for you. That's awesome. Excellent. Joe, what do you learn? Uh, Evan. Oh, whoa. Oh. Go ahead. You first. It's, all right. Same. We'll just say what we're learning at the same time. No. Okay. Uh, uh, no, uh, go ahead. Uh, I'll go first. I'll go first. Uh, what am I learning? So I am learning. Oh, yeah. I learned something pretty interesting this week. So I, I, uh, you know, I was I think I was talking last time about how I've been doing the advent of code, which is just, I don't know, it's fun. It's like, I like stuff like that. But I watched a, a video. Oh, so I, I actually like wrote a little blog post about uh, learning Rust benchmarking tools, which is kind of interesting because like, Node doesn't have super great benchmarking tools, at least not that I've discovered. So Rust has this like built-in benchmarking stuff. And uh, so I, I was using that to just kind of get familiar with how it works. And uh, I was like, I wrote a little real, little blog post about how I like sped up this uh, this this um, little program by like six times. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. It sped up six times. And uh, then I saw this Primogen video on YouTube where uh, he he the video is titled like I sped up my advent of code one million six hundred thousand times or something like that and I was like this is so <laughs> clickbaity and then I clicked right on it and uh, it was a really interesting video because uh, he talks about how like he uh, he he you know goes through kind of like the basic uh, optimization stuff to, you know when you start with a uh, n squared because you're iterating through something. Um, you know, wh whatever you got, like n squared iteration, converting that to uh, use a hash map and all this stuff, all the kind of like typical optimization stuff, low hanging fruit. But then he starts talking about uh, using bit shifting for to optimize further. And like bit shifting is something that I will be honest, I don't have really any uh, developer experience with. And when yes, I same. hear it, yeah, when I hear it, I get a little like cold sweat. But he uh, he uh explained it so well uh and he 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 talks about how uh he optimized the, you know this algorithm basically with bit shifting because oh, anyway my takeaway is that i learned uh kind of had a, a new mental model for how to think about uh bits and like he was thinking he he was sort of describing the problem in terms of a uh I I I kind of I'm having a hard time like explaining it right now, but it's sort of like I was able to make the shift or to make the leap from like an array with a certain amount of uh, of entries in it to a uh, a, a, a um you know uh, uh, an integer with a certain amount of bits in it, and it's like if you can represent something with a bunch of true or false states, then you can represent that as a, an integer with a, with a certain amount of bits and. Uh, yeah, it was just, and, and then you can use bit shifting to do some operations on it. And so like my plan is to kind of go learn a little bit more about, about that stuff. Cause it was, it was fun. My other real quick takeaway from that was, um, and I was talking to somebody on our team about this, uh, this week about how, like, you know, in, in an interview, sometimes this stuff comes up in interviews and they're like, okay, optimize this. And if you don't get like the bit shift solution, then you've like failed the interview or whatever. This, uh, the Primogen, he works at Netflix. He's like, you know, super high performer, I think, at Netflix. He works on like uh, embedded systems and, and stuff. So he's writing, he's writing Rust. And so like, he's no, he's no slouch. He's, <laughs> he's not, uh, he's not playing fast and loose with like job, casting JavaScript types, I don't think. Um, How dare you? <laughs> and so, but, but he wasn't the one who came up with this, with this like bit shifts. He basically crowdsourced this. He like put it out to his Twitter followers and he was like, Hey, here's the, here's like the optimized solution I came up with. 
do better. Like show me, show me how you would do this. And so like he got these solutions from people uh, in his like followers. And, and so it, it just kind of told me like, okay, like he's not always, you know, people, people at his level are also not always thinking of these solutions. It's like, it takes a certain mind to think about, to, to think about things in those ways. And so, I don't know, it just kind of got me thinking again about the, the, um, the interview process and how it can be kind of unfair sometimes. That was the bloom filter all over again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> this is, uh, I, I love we it. It's the most, like, let's keep this quick. Talk. And yeah. then 30 minutes about bit shift. <laughs> no, yeah, it's good stuff. Talk about good bloom stuff. filters. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's like melatonin. Uh, people just listen to that part of the episode. Uh, no, I'm kidding. That's good stuff. Uh, okay. I'm going to actually keep mine quick. What am I learning? I'm going all the way back. I'm relearning jQuery, uh, not by choice. Um, but <laughs> uh, particularly in, through the lens of cross-site scripting attacks. Uh, so I've learned two things. One is how to pen test cross-site scripting attacks and figure out how to exploit cross-site scripting, not for nefarious purposes, for white hat purposes, trying to protect an application. Uh, and then it through the, through the guise of jQuery. So imagine a world, and I can't get specific, imagine a world in which you have a version of jQuery that is old uh, and you can't change it, but it's vulnerable. Uh, so what do you do? Uh, so that's where I'm going back and trying to read through. Uh, if you don't know, jQuery has released like three total majors in its long, 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 long life. It's been around for like 20 years. I think they're at version three, five or something like that, or maybe a little bit later than that. But jQuery doesn't have a lot of majors. Each major is like effing massive. Uh, there's like 40 breaking changes per major. Uh, in the cross-site scripting vulnerabilities and like DOM manipulation methods were available from jQuery zero all the way through jQuery 3.5. So they knew about it, that they you're like, everybody that used jQuery was completely exposed to these things for like 20 years before they fixed them. Um, so that's kind of fun. So I'm going through and trying <laughs> to figure out how to monkey patch old versions of jQuery to not be exposed to cross-site scripting attacks and your DOM manipulation. Uh, so that's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm learning and it's pretty cool. That does sound fun. Yep. Cross-site scripting attack. Always fun. <laughs> Always fun. Good time. Yeah. <laughs> good time. Good time. Yeah. Yeah. You don't think you're going to, you never know what you're going to get to when you come into work every day. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. Well, I think we all know what time it is. It is time to sail away on the good news cruise. Scott, you want to give us a quick foghorn? <laughs> you can't see it right now i'm doing a i'm doing a chef's kiss chef's kiss that was it that was it it even had like the mic overload sound <laughs> jesus christ i needed a, oh need a second to really collect myself before i did it you really hit it hard too that's some diaphragmatic pressure you produced there uh <laughs> well, i was a to do it so. <laughs> I have to say, the freaking 3E entrance, uh, enamored, uh, enraptured, and whatever, yep. I was fucking blown away in the beginning of this episode. <laughs> I had to turn my microphone off. I was dying. This kid came spitting fire straight off the bat. Unbelievable entrance. Uh, uh, legendary entrance. Sorry. Okay. We got, we're supposed to right. be cooling it down. Cool it down. Cool it down. I got I I'll start with the with the with the good news here. I got some good news. I was ensorcelled by this good news that I read uh, this, <laughs> <Come> this week. <laughs> uh 
Uh, so I read, I read some, some good news. Uh, it's actually, I, I would, I good, calling it good news, maybe a stretch, but we're going all the way back to 2001. This is not, this is not recent good news. Um, I read this really interesting story about this flight an air, an airplane flight. We don't have any listeners who are listening to this while they're currently on an airplane because, uh, this could be a little terrifying there. Uh, there's a flight It's called transat flight 236. And it was flying from Toronto to Lisbon and it ran out of gas over the Atlantic ocean. It just ran out of fuel through a series of unfortunate events. Uh, and that's not the good news part. The good news part is that these pilots were able to glide it something like 200 kilometers, uh, like, I don't know, hundred miles, something like that, uh, g- glide it down to the Azores and they landed and they landed, they like landed without power, you know, without any kind of, uh, they had to like do this manual. Uh, I don't even really know how the internals of, of a plane work without all of the power source, but I guess it was not easy. Uh, and when they, when they landed on the runway, they had to put the brakes on the landing gear and just like hope everything worked out and the landing gear like halfway melted, but the, everybody made it out alive. And like these pilots were, were uh, hailed as heroes turned out you know the the point of the article was actually that like this could have all been prevented a lot earlier by like a number of people involved but takeaway is that that was some good news and it was like it was a really uh, exciting story to read and and i'm really glad that it ended out uh with a happy ending oh and nice. also the other good news is that like uh they learned a bunch of stuff and they've been they've made air travel safer because of some things that happened that is good news i like safe air travel uh Unsafe air travel makes me uncomfortable. Um, I, I don't know if Scott has good news or do you have a gripe? Do you have a preference and talk some shit or lay down some great things? Well, I've got a lot of gripes. <laughs> you sounded well, like we'll a caller with... to like sports radio. Like I got a lot of gripes, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe I should start with some uh, good news. As I mentioned, Fat Cow finally transferred my domain to Vercel. Nice. That is scottyk.com, and it is live <laughs> in time for this episode, and that's definitely good news. But I, I can hit you with a gripe if you'd like to hear it. Give me one gripe. I want to hear a gripe. Yeah. All right. I'll save the other four for the component UI episode I'm hoping to be a part of sometime in 2023. Absolutely. Ooh, that's a good idea. It's planting the seed now. Um, <laughs> we will do that. So my gripe is that design systems now, they uh, all kind of do the same patterns and it makes UI a bit boring. I, I, I see yes. a lot of stuff on Twitter. I see a lot of stuff on Twitter that's really cool, uh, whether it's like transitions or, or different things. But I, I feel like we've come into an age of design systems where everyone's just trying to kind of keep up with the other and do similarly the same thing instead of being more ambitious and trying to push the envelope. And I'd like to see more envelope pushing in that regard. Man, say it again. I love it. That was, yeah. That's so so true. Yeah. I think we talked about this the other day or on one episode where I was, we were just talking about how like web development feels like a solved problem sometimes and it's just less fun. Um, yeah. I even said this to my wife last night. I was like, I don't actually enjoy this anymore sometimes like <laughs> where it's like you know it's like plumbing sometimes you're like doing infrastructure which can be cool and like but man there's a lot of web development that feels like it's been solved and solved in a not fun way like how do we make the internet 
as um, enterprise friendly as possible is it feels like that's what the end game has been. Um, not as cool yeah. as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Not to get too negative, but it feels like it's both a solved problem and constant churn at the same time. Like that's, <laughs> what, that's, yeah. what, that's what front end can feel like sometimes. I would agree. I agree. Yeah. And, and Scott, a brand a new grade. thing to learn and a brand new thing to learn always. <laughs> yeah. 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 But hey, you just keep keeps... doing the same shit, right? Like you're going to yeah, learn a right. brand new thing to like move data around again. I'm like, you know, we figured this out a long time ago, y'all. <laughs> We're not doing anything cool here. We're just like building, I don't know, temples to something. Anyway, you know that what, got though? sad. Brand, brand new thing to learn keeps this podcast a business. That's all I'm saying. That's true. And this podcast <laughs> pays the bills. Uh, <laughs> definitely doesn't cost That's us money. Paying somebody's bills. Paying <laughs> the, the paying our. I don't know. Well, anyway, our host. Our I have web hosting. I have We're paying their bills. Our web host is free. It's Vercel <laughs> or Netlify. I think I use Netlify, another awesome deployment company. Um, okay. My good news, environmental. I'm going back to my roots. I think most of my good news has been environmental in this show. Love it. Uh, so I've got one. Australia cut plastic waste on, on all beaches by nearly one third in just six years. So like 29%. So they, this is um, over like a weird time period. So it's like 2014 through 2020. So it's a little bit like old, but it takes a long time to compile government reports. I'm just assuming because they're probably using like paper. Uh, I don't know. So it probably took them two years to actually write this thing down, but they did a survey and they found that they've, uh, since that time have cut, uh, plastic waste on all beaches in Australia by 29%. And then they did like a meta analysis of how that happened because they've been pushing on this for all that time. And what they did basically was like found all the local government programs over the six year period or over this early period that were doing a good job at plastic waste. And then they just took those concepts, abstracted them and just rolled them out to other places. Um, and a lot of the, what they found was the, the best way to do this was economic incentives for consumers. Like how do I make it good for you money wise to recycle properly? Not like curbside recycling, which is generally like a waste, but actually get you know bottles and cans back to uh, beverage producers and stuff like that. Uh, so they just found out what worked, doubled down on it. And then it, it shows a huge result. So I think they can keep doing that and maybe continue to roll those concepts out to other places. So I always love seeing stuff like that where it's like, you know, there are people out there who do a good job at something. Let's figure out what they're doing and seeing if it's extensible to other places and like, how do we make that work uh, at a larger scale? Um, so yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That uh, does not surprise me at all that the that the be- that the way that they found that was most effective was like make it uh, economically viable for consumers or for anybody. You know, like yeah. I think that that's kind of the thing that that people uh, tend not to like to talk about is that for a lot of the the like green stuff that we I think most of us want to push forward, like it does a lot of a lot of times, especially at the big scale of like getting companies involved, getting getting corporations involved. It has to come down to economics. Yeah. I mean, this is near and dear to my heart. Uh, My uncle owns a redemption center. Uh, So like I know just an absurd amount about recycling. Uh, So yeah, it's got to be money. And just as a side note, if we get the bottle bill on your next referendum, pass the bottle bill uh, to make it 10 cents for redeeming a can instead of five cents. I just have to plug that for my uncle's sake. But they've (laughs) been like big beverage has been pushing that for years to not be – 
Big beverage is a real thing. They spent like $120 million the last time it came around to make sure they didn't pass the bottle bill, which would give people 10 cents instead of five cents. Uh, That's a huge deal. So anyways, that's the last thing I'll say. Well, all right, Scott, you got any, anything, uh, any, any other plugs or any other last things you want to say? No, I'm just still enraptured to be here. Thank you, folks. <laughs> On that well, note. we are enraptured. We, uh, we are enraptured that you uh, were able to join us today. I am ecstatic um, that you were able to join us today. Uh, did you already say ecstatic? I no. don't even know. I don't even know anymore. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for spending what is now almost two hours with us. Uh, <laughs> the mega episode. This is a uh, magnum opus. Um, <laughs> But, I, I probably yeah. think I'm for to blame for that there. <laughs> no, I think I think it was awesome. Uh, but we can find you, we know, at scottyk.com. Oh, and do you want to plug your uh, – do you want to plug anything else? you want to plug your lifting Instagram? Uh, oh, if you'd like. Uh, I've recently updated my name on Instagram since <gasps> you've been gone, Evan. It's I'm no off the longer, gram. I see it. It's no longer Squatty K, but if you're looking for me, it's under Local Meat Hero. You can find that link on ScottyK.com on the Instagram icon at the bottom if you really are interested. Yes, Local Meat Hero. This is an amazing name for anyone. And also it links back to ScottyK.com, which I love. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Scotty K is a, uh, a power lifter of renown uh, in this area and uh a guy that I've taken a lot of uh, inspiration from along the years in powerlifting. So check him out. Local meat hero at local meat, not M E A T, not meat oh, hero. M E E T. I got it. Got yeah. It, got it, got which it. is an important distinction because you might not find like what you find at local meat hero. Well, M-E-A-T. I was going to say, I think you got to snag that handle too. I think you got to, <laughs> you need you a 301. You need a 301 at local M E A T hero to local meat hero. <laughs> Uh, okay, cool. I've gone a far afield. Joe, wrap us up. <laughs> All right. Uh, everybody, you can find us at runtimerundown.com and uh, go listen to us. Uh, go listen. Yeah, go listen to us because you're not listening to us right now. Uh, go uh, give, us a, give us a star. Give us a review over on Apple Podcasts or uh, Spotify. Um, yeah, that's, that's about it. <laughs> Evan, you're way better at this than I am. No, you nailed it. <laughs> also, look out for the UI component episode that we're going to do at some point. Uh, in the future, this is a sweet tease at minute one forty hour, hundred minute one hundred and three. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> All right, Scott. Thank you for uh, for joining us today, and thank you, dear listener, for joining us too. We will see you next time. Goodbye.